National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Prayers for Pope Francis were called for this week when the Holy Father spent a few days in the hospital before one of the busiest times of the liturgical year. On Register Radio today, Matthew Bunsen and I discuss the Pope's health and Holy Week. Then we turn our attention to Germany, where a bishop's resignation and other events seem aimed to deter the heterodox path of the German synodal way. Jonathan Liedel, the Register's senior editor who recently returned from Germany, offers his analysis. I'm Jeanette DeMello, executive director of the National Catholic Register and host of Register Radio. I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, executive editor of EWTN News. Matthew, it's always a little strange when what the Pope had for dinner last night makes the news. <laughs> it is. <laughs> That's what happened this week. It's even more interesting when it turns out it was pizza. <laughs> yes, he loves pizza. We know that already, right? Yes, he uh, does. He, sh- he shared the pizza with those who were caring for him at Gemelli Hospital in Rome. Uh, so he had a health concern this week. What happened? We did. Uh, you know, as we're having this conversation, uh, uh, Pope Francis uh, remains in the hospital. Our hopes uh, and the expectations now are that uh, he will be. Uh, allowed to head back uh, to the Vatican City and uh, Casa Santa Marta. But what happened this week uh, was a a bit of a, not a shock, but a a surprise to a lot of people that uh, he was supposed to be heading to Gemelli Hospital, which is uh, the place where popes go when they have any medical needs, uh, certainly immediate medical needs, uh, for some tests. And he had been having some breathing issues, respiratory issues, in the week. And then immediately after his general audience, uh, he was taken by ambulance to Gemelli. And uh, after some additional testing, they found that uh, he had a respiratory infection and began a a regime of antibiotics. And they kept him uh, under observation. And he began to improve fairly rapidly, which is a very positive sign. But again, uh, there are obvious concerns about the, the health of the Holy Father, given the, the health challenges he's had in the last few years and the fact that uh, he has a slightly impeded lung. Uh, mm-hmm. He had part of the lobe removed when he was a young man. That's right. And of course, uh, you know, any, any respiratory issues are, are going to cause heightened concern. They, they said it was bronchitis. Um, we did hear from uh, Matteo Bruni, the, the press secretary or the director of the Ho- uh, Holy See Press Office, that the Pope had rested and prayed and, and that he was even doing some work reading reading the news and, and whatnot, um, and, and he should be released on Saturday. Um, we're talking on Friday, so we, we will wait and see. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, everyone would naturally get concerned um, because of his age. He's 86 years old, so sometimes it's really difficult uh, to bounce back when you know, when an elderly person gets sick. Well, that's right. Yeah, and, and Pope Francis has uh, demonstrated a, a remarkable capacity to bounce back from things. Uh, he had uh, problems uh, with the colon, including a rather significant surgery in 2021 uh, that uh, he was supposed to be heading back home for that, but they kept him under observation again uh, for longer than would be typical for a patient, but factoring in his age and other health concerns. He's long had uh, issues of sciatica, and then uh, he has other issues uh, with his knee uh, that uh, created mobility issues and really curtailed some of his papal travel last year. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing 
the obvious progression of age, as we would with any pontiff. Uh, but in, as you note, uh, 86 is uh, advanced. Uh, but uh, again, this is a, a pope of some fortitude. Right, right. I think also back in January it was reported, uh, he said so in a, an interview that his uh, diverticulitis had returned. So that's another uh, intestinal ailment that, that um, is, it can really be problematic. Um, you know, it's just important to note that Benedict retired when he was 85. Of course, he lived until he was 95. So, you know, it, it may mean that, that, that he's, you know, they slow down, but, but still right. you, you never know how long somebody would live. Um, John Paul oh, and, II. And one of the uh, observations that was made about uh, Pope Benedict is that uh, he, he resigned for health issues and, and it was learned that he himself did not actually fully expect to live very long after his right. resignation. But um, let's just say that uh, being unburdened of the enormity of the papacy, I think, was key in the fact that he was able to live as long as he did. That's right. I mean, he lives much more like uh, a typical uh, 85 to, you know, through 90s would would live um, more restfully. And of course, that's not the pace of a pope. I mean, the the world travel that a pope is expected to do is is really tremendous. And I was going to reference also John Paul II, just to kind of give some context. I mean, he died when he was 84. Of course, he had Parkinson's and and that um, made a toll. But but yes, Pope Francis is doing very, very well uh, for his age. I, I think that's very important for us to note, but, but to continue to pray. And certainly for the last few weeks, prayers for Pope Francis, both because of his 10th anniversary, but now this week, um, an article that, that we had posted at the Register, Prayers for Pope Francis, has done quite, quite well this week. Um, so everybody uh, should keep him in prayer. He's... Um, you know, he's dealing with bronchitis at the start of a very demanding week, a holy week. And uh, Matteo Bruni did say uh, they do expect him to participate in uh, the Palm Sunday liturgy and, and the Angelus. I think he was, uh, you know, he's always scheduled for an Angelus on Sundays. Um, so our expectation is he will do that uh, on Sunday. What else was he scheduled for this week, Matthew? Well, uh Obviously, we did the grueling Holy Week schedule, which is difficult. To, it's a challenge for uh, any pontiff because of the number of liturgies that we have. Uh, in particular, we have Holy Thursday. We have uh, then the, the Passion of Our Lord. We've got uh, we have all of the Good Friday events typically at the Colosseum. Then we have uh, the Holy Saturday. Then we have Easter. Then we also have the Urbi at Urbi, which is uh, one of the most significant of the papal addresses uh, that we would anticipate each year. So just liturgically, this is a very tough week for any pontiff. Absolutely, and, and the Chrism Mass as well on, on Holy Thursday, which often delivers quite a great homily from, from uh, every pope, really, but um, speaking directly to, to priests and to bishops. So it's always a great week to be in Rome. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've been there at that time, but I certainly was very, very fond of my memories of, of spending um, Holy Week and the uh, Triduum's uh, days with the Holy Father. I mean, it's quite intense um, and quite beautiful. It is. And uh, customarily, the weather's good uh, because it's uh, here we are, well, obviously, depending upon when Easter falls each year. But in looking back on so many of the, the 
Easter Sundays and other things, the celebrations in the Vatican, it always seems that it's sunny and beautiful. And then you have this magnificent uh, set of flowers, and and Mm -hmm. it is really throughout that whole week uh, an intense spiritual moment. And uh, I would encourage everyone, in fact, to uh, follow the events in Rome, whether Pope Francis is presiding in them or not, uh, with EWTN, because we're going to be there every step of the way uh, covering these important liturgies. But there is this intensity uh, to go back to that uh, for the week, and it's a great opportunity for us to lean into Holy Week, uh, the culmination of what we hope has been a really fruitful Lent for everybody. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, Turning back to Pope Francis um, and and his schedule, uh, he really had a packed year (laughs) planned this year. Um, Can we talk a bit about some of his travels? Uh, He did go uh, to... To Africa, he's scheduled to go to Hungary. That's right. Uh, at the end of April. Um, That's right. And and that you know, as far as we know, is still on track. What are, are some of his other travels? Well, we've got. Uh, we know that he's heading also to Lisbon for World Youth Day, uh, and obviously EWTN will be there in force, uh, carrying it. That's uh, the first week of August. There are also uh, assumptions that uh, he will be traveling as far flung as Mongolia. Uh, something that uh, he considers to be very important. Another one of his uh, Asian adventures, so to speak. He's been to Myanmar, he's been to Korea, he's been to Japan. In a way, he's circling the People's Republic of China with these visits. Uh, So strategically, we're seeing Francis playing chess with the People's Republic. And then uh, he will be presiding in October over what we can all anticipate will be another grueling exercise, which is uh, the Synod on Synodality, which is uh, already controversial. Uh, in its unfolding, and I think the amount of media attention on that is going to be quite intense. Absolutely. There was some talk of him going to Lebanon. Of course, that's not confirmed. Uh, and, and even further talk of him going to India as well. That's right. Uh, so, uh, he's, and he's always wanted um, a trip to Moscow, but that seems <laughs> highly unlikely um, given the situation there. So it's, um, there's always a, a lot to... Um, a lot on his plate, I think, um, but uh, but even more uh, desires. Um, I think this certainly has been a pope who does reach uh, the peripheries, um, and that is is a huge part. Of well, his and, and it is uh, one of the ironies of the pontificate that uh, very early on he said that he did not really anticipate doing much traveling. <laughs> well, <laughs> he has been a pope of surprises. Yes, he is. has in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. So, well, let's continue our prayers um, for our Holy Father uh, this week. And, and as you said, Matthew, I think that it was a great reminder um, to, to not only pray for him, but um, to join him. Um, on EWTN, um, you can follow all of, his, uh, of the liturgies there at the Vatican. Uh, and it's really a profound and blessed time uh, for us to enter further into the mysteries of Christ. So, so yes, we continue our prayers for Pope Francis. And now we're going to turn to Jonathan Lito. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, Jonathan will give us reports on the latest of the German Synodal Way and the German bishops. This is Register Radio on EWTN. Stay tuned. There's more when we return. 
For nearly a century, the National Catholic Register has been moving minds, moving hearts, moving souls, and enriching our readers' lives by spreading the truth of the gospel. Today, that tradition continues with award-winning journalism that goes beyond any secular news service while bringing much-needed light and clarity to the issues and events that affect you and your family's future, all with faithful and courageous reporting guided by the teachings of the Catholic Church. It's more important than ever to join Catholics who depend on the register. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, joined by Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News's Executive Editor. On March 25th, the Vatican announced that Pope Francis accepted the resignation of the Vice President of the German Bishops' Conference. That's Bishop Franz Joseph Yosef Bode. Only weeks before Bishop Bode made headlines for another reason, he had announced that he would implement the resolutions passed by the German Synodal Way that included the introduction of blessings for same-sex unions in his diocese. So that's liturgical blessings uh, for same-sex couples. Today we talk with Jonathan Liedel about this sudden resignation uh, of Bishop Bode and, and the reasons for it, how it might, and how it might affect the German synodal way. This is something Jonathan's been following for quite some time now, and he just came back from Germany about a week and a half ago. Uh, so he's fresh with ideas on, on how this might affect the situation there. Welcome back, uh, Jonathan. Great to be with you. So first of all, uh, you know, there were stated reasons, of course, for Bishop Bode's uh, resignation. Uh, let's talk about those first. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's important uh, to underscore that the stated reasons for Bishop Bode's resignation, they all came uh, from the German side of things, so not from the Vatican. So his own diocese of Osnabrück uh, said that he was resigning due to mishandling uh, cases of sexual abuse in the diocese. And that, that line was kind of confirmed by various other figures uh, kind of in German church leadership, including Bishop Batzing, the president of the Bishop's Conference, um, the Archdiocese of Hamburg. But uh, that's, that's the line we got out of Germany. But in Rome, of course, in the Bolletino, right, the, the kind of Vatican press offices, uh, daily update at noon, it simply said that Pope Francis had accepted Bishop Bodhi's resignation with no further details, which of course is par for the course for the Vatican. Right. Uh, they don't normally go into details of, of whether, you know, they've accepted someone's voluntary resignation, whether the Pope asked for it, uh, and they don't always go into details about what exactly uh, the reason for the resignation is, which is giving a lot of people room to wonder uh, right. and, and theorize if there might be a connection here with Bishop Bodhi and the Synodal Way. Of course, you did some wondering and theorizing in an analysis piece at ncregister.com. It was called a foreboding sign for the Synodal Way, question <laughs> mark. So, of course, play on words there with Bishop Bodhi, but 
you know, to talk about um, him, you know, the reasons why uh, it's, it is hard uh, to, to think that it's only about uh, the, the issues of sexual abuse. Why? Because just many months ago, there was a report that came out about uh, the sexual abuse in his diocese, and, and he actually refused to step down at that time. Uh, and so you kind of wonder what's happening now. He's 72 years old, so he's under the typical resignation age of 75. Many, you know, almost mm. all bishops offer their resignation and the Pope can, res- can accept it or not. Um, and you reported in your story, he's the longest serving diocesan bishop in Germany. So this is really a, sh- a kind of shocking move after, after that setup, right? Um, do we expect he was forced out? I think, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. Do we expect, I mean, because of the way the or suspect, I should say, maybe. It, yeah, I think yeah. we're we're definitely allowed to suspect. And the reason why I want to underscore this isn't just, you know, me doing it or the National Catholic Register doing it, is that this is something that, that even leadership figures in the synodal way are suspecting. Mm. So I just want to highlight the comments of Johannes Norputh, who's uh, a spokesperson for um, victims of sex abuse and advises the German Bishops Conference and a major supporter of many of the changes of the Synodal Way. He described Bishop Bodhi uh, as an Episcopal engine of the Synodal Way, and he said that his resignation will clearly and permanently weaken the wing in the German Bishops Conference that is willing to reform and change. But he openly suspected that uh, the acceptance of Bishop Bodhi's resignation might have had a strategic element in it from the Vatican uh, to undermine uh, the synodal way as it moves forward uh, in the implementation of these resolutions. And we can first ask, well, what what does Bishop Bodhi have to do with that? As you mentioned, he's the longest serving bishop in Germany. So he has all kinds of connections, all kinds of relationships. He's the vice president of the German Bishops Conference. So a lot of the next stage we're going to see is German church leadership uh, really, whether through carrot or stick, right, trying to compel bishops across Germany to implement uh, the, the reforms of the Synodal Way into their diocese, and then also to curry favor on the international stage. So you think of Bishop Bodhi and the role he could have played there, highly significant. Uh, so there's definitely a sense that, um, yeah, that he, he did have a lot to offer in that process. And then another thing is, you know, the 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 statement that, um, you know, that he resigned over sex abuse, um, there's not, I don't know if there's a lot of reason to think it was voluntary. And the reason why is because, as you pointed out, he had not voluntarily submitted a resignation previously when these allegations first came up uh, towards the end of last year. Meanwhile, five other bishops in Germany when cases, investigations into sex abuse in their diocese have happened, when there was an indication that they mishandled it in some way, have voluntarily offered their resignations to Pope Francis, but he hasn't accepted a single one of them there. So, you know, we can ask questions of whether Bishop Bodie's case uh, was significantly different, and there definitely are uh, some differences in, in the details uh, in his place, but I think we're still reasonably left to wonder um, if his involvement in the synodal way uh, might have played a role, uh, you know, it might have been, as I put it in the article, maybe it's a case of two two birds with one stone, right? Like Pope Francis cracking down on, on someone who committed, uh, possibly committed canonical violations in handling 
sex abuse cases in his diocese, um, but then also, uh, but then also, kind of uh, eliminating um, someone who not just was a major proponent of the synodal way, but was willing to cross uh, Vatican red lines when it comes to moving forward with these same-sex uh, blessings for these these unions. So. Yeah, I think there, there's definitely a lot of evidence, and we're, we're left to, to conjecture and, and surmise. Yeah, and uh, as you point out, Jonathan, in your analysis piece, uh, these other bishops weren't exactly uh, unknown. Like we had Cardinal Rainer Maria Volki of Cologne, Cardinal Reinhard Marx of Munich, Archbishop Stefan Hesse of Hamburg are among those who offered their resignations and were never accepted. And yet here, the one who seemed the most determined not to is the one who is ending up resigning. Which begs, I think, a, a question that uh, has been asked a couple of times over these last years as the German synodal way has pushed its way forward and using the sex abuse crisis as a pretext uh, for unraveling church teaching. One of the questions that I'm asked is where exactly are the German bishops right now in dealing with clergy sexual abuse because we have had this distraction of the synodal way for so long? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you mean in terms of like concretely on the ground uh, exactly like, yeah yeah well i think this is this is why uh you know pope francis is whether whether he asked Bodhi to like demanded he resigned or whether he merely accepted it i think it is a bit of a wake-up call you're right matthew because we've had so much talk about about things that um that i think most reasonable analyses suggest are not uh you know intimately connected to clergy sex abuse such as you know some of the resolutions pushed forward at the previous uh, this this last assembly meeting, um, including uh, you know allowing not not factoring in people's external sexual characteristics when determining if they're suitable to enter seminary, right? So you you see all kinds of ideological things there related to transgender issues, but all kinds of things related to um, power, related to heterodoxical views on sexuality and ordination that have have dominated. Um, the synodal way, and so this is this is a wake up call, I think, from the Pope that that you can't just uh, you know that no, there there are real uh, issues here, and perhaps they're not being addressed, right? Perhaps the German way is not the way, and so uh, holding people accountable, and of course there are questions um, related to to Bishop Bodie's resignation and the reforms that Pope Francis has done in holding bishops accountable for fail, failures in handing handling uh, sex abuse cases, uh, the Vosestis Lux Mundi um, protocols. And it, I don't know, like, it, I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but on the day that uh, Bishop Bodhi's resignation was accepted, uh, the Vatican announced that the Vosestis norms would be permanent and they were strengthened on the very same day. So I don't, you know, I don't know if that's just a coincidence or if there's something um, poetic there, but I think uh, what we're clearly seeing is uh, you know, accountability and not not just using, you know, we talk about the abuse of the abuse, and that's a real concern in Germany that um, the, the sufferings people have endured and the injustices uh, committed have simply been used as a pretext for advancing uh, these ideological options uh, and not, not actually holding people accountable. So it seems like uh, we're definitely seeing something like that happening in Germany. Plus, you may have just given uh, the best chant possible. Uh, you just said the synodal way is not the way. So thank you for that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So it, it is important, I think, to point out, and I think you did this, uh, Jonathan, but uh, this case of uh, Bishop Bode 
was, and we, we just found out, was actually a Vost Estes investigation. So as far Poss- as we kn- possibly. Uh, well, what, what we do know is that a Vost Estes uh, investigation, a, rec- a complaint according to those norms, was filed by, uh, by a, a committee in the, the Metropolitan Archdiocese of Hamburg, of which the Diocese of Osnabrück, Bishop Bodie's uh, diocese, is included. So we know that that happened in December. Right. The Vatican, I mean, the, the Vos Estes, this is one of the critiques of it, is that, uh, you know, it was done with the idea of kind of enhancing transparency and efficiency in dealing with bishops who have been accused of mishandling sex abuse cases. But we, we never actually really know when a bishop has or is being investigated uh, kind of under this framework. Uh, but one thing to point out is that that request was made in December. Um, so it would go to, uh, you know, as Matthew mentioned, Archbishop Hesse of Hamburg, who then would forward the complaint on to the Vatican. There's no indication that he didn't do that. Meanwhile, in Cologne, Cardinal Volke, uh, a- another bishop, Bishop Felix Gen, attempted to bring a Vosestis complaint uh, against him uh, for for Cologne and, and what's happened there. Uh, but there were reports that the Vatican never picked it up, right? They ignored it um, for over 30 days, which which I guess is the, the timeline required to pick up the complaint and move with it. So there are reasons to think, you know, as we talked about these other five cases of German bishops voluntarily offering their resignation, there are reasons to think that none of them have been investigated according to Vosestes. And in fact, in Cologne, the Vatican sent an apostolic visitation to that archdiocese, but it was more for the pastoral crisis that had kind of emerged uh, there than it was a direct investigation of Cardinal Volke uh, and his handling of abuse. And that visitation found that while he committed uh, significant errors of communication, there were no canonical violations. So I, I think you're right, Jenna. I think it's very reasonable to suspect that that Bishop Bodhi was vosestied, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> but that's part of the challenge is that the Vatican hasn't confirmed it, right? We don't, we don't, we're allowed, we don't really know exactly what to think. And the only statements we're getting are the spin we're getting from, you know, people like Bishop Bodhi and his allies uh, right. in, in German uh, his church establishment. Well, I want to add one more piece of news to this um, to this conversation about the, the the German bishops' conference and and kind of squashing um, the the way the, the synodal way. Um, this this week, we also got a letter from our uh, Cardinal Roach, who is um, basically the Vatican's liturgy czar, and uh, and he he basically said it's not possible for them to continue on with this idea of letting lay people. Um, baptize people and preach at homilies. And so this is another shot <laughs> to the German bishops that they need to slow down uh, and they need to get on board uh, with the Vatican and with church teaching. So Jonathan, what do you make of the, the Cardinal Roche uh, announcement this week? Well, you're right, Jeanette. He, he did uh, strongly uh, advise the German bishops not to move forward. Some of them have, have talked about um, implementing uh, these these liturgical changes uh, in their diocese. So he did say, you can't do that. But uh, consistent with another pattern we've been seeing from the Vatican when they uh, when they kind of correct the synodal way, he said, 
bring these ideas to the Synod on Synodality in October, right, that we've already uh, mentioned on the, on the show, four weeks of, of bishops and other people gathering and discussing what they're hearing in different parts of the church. So it's a very interesting dynamic because we the, the same thing happened with same-sex blessings. Actually, after Bishop Bodie said he was going to move forward with doing those in Osnabrück, Cardinal Pietro Perolin, the Secretary of State of the, of the Holy See, um, said, you can't do that, but we want to basically talk about it in, in October. So it's kind of, it's a little concerning because the question is, well, are there sort of fundamental truths in play here, or is it simply a, a matter of procedure that the Vatican is concerned about and not wanting the German bishops uh, to get ahead um, of the conversation? Um, so it's something certainly to keep an eye on, and I think it just raises the stakes uh, of what we're we're going to see uh, in October, um, for sure. Absolutely. You know, I, I think there's another possibility here too. I mean, it, it it may not be as black or white. You know, that the, the these changes will be pushed and and somehow accepted in October. I don't think that's something we should really expect. But it is strange no, no. that they say, "Hey, come and talk about them," right? But this is part of Francis's way with this mm -hmm. idea of accompaniment, you know? So mm -hmm. how do we bring people along in mm -hmm. a persuasive way? Uh, and that's messy, as we can see. Mm -hmm. Well, Pope Francis yeah. himself said, hog on Leo, you know, make a mess. But, it, it, but you're right, Jeanette, it's also <clears throat> very consistent with what uh, we've seen, especially the pattern of his governance over the synods. The Amazonian synod, we had votes uh, to allow the uh, very probati, in other words, married men, uh, to be ordained to the priesthood. We had questions and discussions about uh, women deacons. But at the end of the day, Francis, as is his pattern, was the one who decides and ultimately decided against any of that. Uh, as we saw in Carita Amazonia, his apostolic exhortation coming out of the synod. So the hope, at least, is that uh, while some of these discussions might happen, uh, that they're not going to go very far, but it's, it's a worrisome detail uh, that uh, I think Jonathan's raising. Uh, and I think, the, uh, Jeanette, as you pointed out, uh, really Pope Francis's pastoral practice of accompaniment, I think the, the idea is that simply by listen, listening to people and by having them be part of the conversation, um, that you build up unity, whether or not their ideas are accepted. Um, and I think, you know, we can see even in our own interpersonal lives that that oftentimes that can be can be true, like simply someone being heard, um, you know, whether or not you agree with them uh, can, can make them feel like there's a real connection there, a real relationship that you're really together. But I think on the level of sort of uh, ecclesial politics and doctrine, I think the, the question people have is, you know, is this... Um, is that what it leads to, or does it just embolden people? Does it raise their expectations, right, that some kind of change is coming, and that when it doesn't, um, you're only left with kind of disappointment and resentment? So uh, something to, to continue to watch, but I think you're right that that's kind of um, what we're seeing here. Yes, I think that what is new here about this um this kind of accompaniment and, and this kind of uh, maybe even course correction or conversation is that it's taking place on a on a global scale with 24/7 um, media, <laughs> you know, tracking each move, and, and that makes it possible for all of us 
uh, to follow um, the conversation in such a way that doesn't take place when you're having these kind of accompaniment um, moments with um, friends and, and, you know, one-on-one and personal relationships. And so this is really something kind of new, I think. Um, and, and, and so it's left to be seen how effective it is. But certainly we should do what we started uh, talking about doing in this show, which is pray for Pope Francis. Um, this this deserves our prayers um, and that it is indeed, in fact, effect, effective um, for the church and, and particularly to draw people closer to Christ. So uh, thank you for your insights and, and for this good conversation. My pleasure. Remember, for more news analysis and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio and EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, I pray that God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.